Well, three out of every five young Christians, 59%, disconnect either permanently or for an extended period of time from church life after the age of 15. Well, we are gonna look at some reasons that this happens on this episode of The Unapologetic Show. Hello, Thinking Christians. Welcome to The Unapologetic Show. It seems that truth is under attack in our society, and The Unapologetic Show is here to help you defend truth without compromise with Dr. Bobby Conway, the one-minute apologist. I'm your host, Tim Hall. Bobby, we're going to kind of get into uh, several different reasons why people are kind of abandoning the church, but I think it's important kind of up front to talk about maybe a distinction that we'll use or we'll be thinking about as we go through here. Um, is, is, are we going to make a distinction between just leaving the church and completely deconverting from Christianity? So how would you think about that first? That's a good point, Tim. Um, you know, not everybody who leaves the church uh, does completely, uh, you know, walk away from the faith and right. become an apostate. And so I would say um, that you will have some of the same reasons. Those who ultimately go through a deconversion, so to speak, an apostate, uh, where they kind of arrive at that place, I think that the reasons that they experience for doing so would be the same reasons for those who leave the church. Mm. But something ends up happening in the individuals who leave the church where maybe they question um, their previous assumptions about the church. So they start thinking a little bit differently. Like they were inside the church, they were disillusioned by the church for various reasons, but then they leave the church and go out and they look for greener pastures, so to mm. speak, and the, gr- the, dr- the ground ends up being a lot drier than they expected, yeah. and then they come back to the church. But sometimes what happens is when they come back, they come back with better expectations. Right. Because when you're young, Tim, um, it, you're idealistic. Yes. Um, you're idealistic about what marriage will be like. You're idealistic about what your career will be like. You're idealistic about what it'll look like to get away from home. All right. these things right. uh, are part of the fabric of youth. But then you get away from home and you go, you know what? Maybe mom and dad weren't so bad after all. Yeah. Or uh, you go into marriage thinking it's going to be this, you know, Hollywood romance forever, and then you're disillusioned. Or you go into a career and you think you're going to be the next new visionary who's finally going to figure out how to have a perfect work-life balance (laughs) and you end up disillusioned. So what ends up happening is some people that end up leaving these things, oh, I got to get away from church, the church that mom and dad raised me in. Some will leave and because they never had a real faith to begin with, uh, they will just go all the way with Mm. it. Others they will leave and then they'll go out and realize, you know what? Maybe there was some wisdom to the church. Maybe there was some wisdom what mom and dad have to say, had yeah. to say. And then they kind of find themselves, maybe we should return. Right, yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. Uh, and two, I, one of the other things that we keep in mind is that there's like kind of the institutionalized portion of the church, right? Yeah. So there's kind of like these policies and you know, kind of how it's governed and some people are just resisting that, right? You know, we've heard like I'm spiritual but not religious and kind of the rise sure. of the nuns. So I think that's why it's good. So sometimes we'll kind of talk about just people kind of leaving that 
institution of church, but maybe not fully deconverting. And other times there's, yeah, like you said, there's a relationship between some of these issues that we're going to talk about and then completely walking away from Jesus altogether. So uh, one of the things that we wanted to do is we're going to play some clips uh, from a video. He's His his title on YouTube is The Friendly Atheist. Uh, mm-hmm. I think his name is uh, Hameda. And actually, Sean McDowell, he had a debate with this guy, like a conversation on The Unbelievable Show. So uh, he has got a lot of subscribers. So we're going to look at some of what he said, and then we're going to respond to it and in intermixing some of our own thoughts. So let's go ahead and turn to this first clip from him about the internet. But once there was a way to ask questions about religion in private, online, it became much easier to recognize the problems with faith and that you're not alone in questioning your beliefs. Just ask ex-Mormons who have read the CES letter or Christian fundamentalists who finally saw easy to understand explanations for how science works and why we don't owe our existence to Noah and his ark. Having information at your fingertips is the worst thing that could have happened to religion because religion historically relied on people just believing what the priest told them. You're not supposed to figure religion out on your own, you're supposed to go through them. There's a reason the Catholic Church feared the invention of the printing press. People reading the Bible for themselves was not good news. The internet was an even bigger deal for people who grew up in insular communities. Okay, so does the friendly atheist have a point? Why do you think the internet has played a role uh, in people leaving the church? I do think he has a point, uh, for sure. And he does seem friendly, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Uh, I mean, he seems like a nice guy. I wish more atheists would come off uh, friendly. Like He seems the kind of guy you could sit down and enjoy a cup of coffee with. Yeah. Uh, I would have to say that there are some things that maybe an atheist will bring up, objection-wise, that we can concede. Mm. And uh, you've heard me refer to it before, Tim, but you know, I've said we need more concessional apologetics. Yeah. And that is where we can concede the point uh, that people are making. Now, while it is true that the internet has created, you know, a, a way for people to access information, access information that they couldn't before, um, and it might have caused them to leave uh, the the faith, uh, that doesn't mean the truth of Christianity has changed. Mm. It just means that people are open and susceptible to more opinions. Uh, I would say uh, so too are atheists, right? Like uh, the whole myth, like it's interesting. So he talks, you know, five to 6% of the people in our country are atheists. But that minority of a voice, they speak as if they're the ones that have got all the truth figured out. Well, there are people... Uh, as well that were atheists, that they watched debates mm. with William Lane Craig and other wise scholars. And they saw, you know what? The atheism that I grew up with uh, deceived me, it duped me. They made me think that we were the brights, that we were the enlightened right. ones. And I got a chance to see uh, other Christians that weren't the way that they were caricatured. Yeah. So I would say that this is not a Christian problem uniquely. I think that it's created confusion for people in different streams. I would say that 
the truth of it is that we do have to be careful about what it is that we are listening to. Mm. Everybody can be an expert because of the internet and yeah. the rise of social media. And unfortunately, you have people who are easily influenced because they're not doctrinally trained yeah. and because they don't know their Bible. I don't understand the sentiment of being scared uh, for people to read their Bible. I'm a religious leader. I think that's our problem. Yeah. Christians haven't read their Bible. They don't know right. the Bible and they're so susceptible. I'm not trying to cause people to just be in some tight doctrinal box. I want people to think. In fact, I believe that Christianity uh, is far more um, intellectually sound than the belief that nothing took nothing and made everything. Yeah. Um, that just seems unintelligible. The whole idea of methodological, um, you know, where people are just uh, materialism, where they're just using the materialistic methodology where you can't even leave room for the fact that there is an unseen realm, that yeah. there is a God. I think that's a closed-minded approach. And so it for me, I would concur, but I don't think that uh, that means Christianity is true or false, so to speak. Right. I just think that we can be influenced by uh, media and we have to be aware of the voices that are coming our way and not form our opinions on sound bites. Yeah. Well, and, and you said it. I mean, the internet has been a great tool for, for even doubters to kind of get some of those questions answered. But there also has kind of been this sense of overprotectiveness that the church has had on information, if you will. They, they want to keep it to a, a, a single leader or they want to keep it to a single source. And so when people come with those doubts to their pastor or to, uh, you know, their church leader, they're often told not to question those things. And it's like, but the internet's right here. We'll just go Google that in a sense. I want to read a few statistics from a study that Barna did that I think kind of falls under this heading of the internet. It says, uh, a few of the defining characteristics of today's teens and young adults are their unprecedented access to ideas and worldviews as they are... Um, uh, predominantly consumption of popular culture. As a Christian, they express the desire of their faith in Christ to connect to the world that they live in. However, there is uh, much of their existence of Christianity feels that they have shifted or it feels fear-based and risk-adverse. A quarter of 18 to 29-year-olds said that Christians demonize everything outside the church uh, completely or mostly. Other perceptions in this category include churches ignoring the problems of the real world, and my church is too concerned with movies, music, video games that they're harmful. So I think that kind of falls under this heading of internet. Like, things are out there. If we're not addressing what's going on in the world as Christian leaders, then they are going to be able to find that. So what advice would you give maybe for church leaders on how they can uh, not have such a fear-based, you know, kind of mentality, open things up a little bit more and not to have, you know, be afraid of the internet, if you will. I, I think that being aware of the internet and how it works yeah. and algorithms is an important factor here Yeah, um, because a, a lot of um, the opinions that people are forming uh, are coming um, through algorithms mm. that can read the way that they like to um, you know, give a thumbs up to particular social media feeds. Yeah. Uh, subsequently, uh, if we're not aware of that, then we are being indoctrinated by social media. Mm. So it's funny that the church is the one uh, that's being accused of the indoctrination and being overly protective when 
a lot of ways, I look at social media. Um, they're the ones, they won't let the different opinions go out there. If you express a, a view on pro-choice or LGBTQ, you'll get canceled. Yeah. Well, what are they so scared of? Mm. So um, it's funny that when we talk about how the Catholic Church before the printing press tried to control information, yeah. well, isn't that exactly what social media is doing today yeah. with Facebook and Twitter? Uh, I mean, uh, these these different social media platforms, that's what they're doing. So mm. I think what we should do inside the church is we should make our people aware that they're being fed an algorithm. Mm. And so if they're not aware of that, they could become very myopic and blinded. Yeah. And so it's important for us to just understand the information and how it's coming at us. It's not accidental. Mm. So that's something, but we can't, not equip, equip the church on values because some people think that we're being overly concerned yeah. about ethics here. Yeah. Uh, that's just a great scare tactic. Mm. Don't talk about all these ethical issues, uh, but what they're doing is they'll make us look like we're f leading out of fear because we're trying to protect people from falling into sin. Right. And I just think we need to be aware of even that kind of language, Tim, yeah. that comes at us. Well, and that's great. And that leads us right into kind of our, our second reason that people are leaving, and that is that morality, that culture has legalized a lot of things that the church says. So our friendly atheist has something to say about this. So we'll check out this clip and then we'll talk about it. But if conservative Christians and Mormons and Southern Baptists and Catholics can't even get the simplest moral questions right, why would anyone trust their judgment on anything else? Well, there's a built-in assumption there yeah. that we got it wrong, Yeah. right? <laughs> so uh, how, how would we handle this as Christian leaders? How do we handle uh, this, this incongruency between kind of what the culture has legalized and is now celebrating in some cases and uh, what, you know, what, what biblical morality would tell us? Yeah, I mean, so what? Were uh, the, the simplest questions right, okay? Yeah. Well, probably the questions he's talking about um, are going to have to do with our sex life mm -hmm. for the most part, right? And so uh, when we think about some of these moral questions, well, why is it that just until, uh, you know, within the last decade, uh, just historically speaking, uh, I mean, it's like all these years of human existence, and we just so happen to be the enlightened ones in this small crack of time. Right. But on the simplest of moral issues, right? right. Well, if it was so simple, why did it take this long? Well, yeah. of course, they're going to want to blame the church for that, right? Right, right? But this is not just a church problem. Uh, we are still a minority mm. uh, in America and in Western Euro Europe with this progressive LGBTQ plus pronoun kind of an agenda. Yeah. So w when we talk about uh, things like the simplest of things. Uh, I mean, you know, what is going to be the measurement for uh, this friendly atheist morality? Because right. the reality is, is he'll talk like we're the only ones that have a morality. But uh, as you know, Tim, uh, he's going to give us his own morality, right? Exactly. Like we need to abandon our morality for his morality. Yeah. Well, what's his morality going to look like, yeah. right? And so why does he get to be the one who's enlightened? So now all of a sudden, because his morality is this new 
morality, uh, and we're the ones that are holding on to maybe an old morality, uh, he'll just say, these are the simplest of moral truths. Well, if they're so simple, why are we just arriving at this right, right now? And why is it that it's primarily in Western Europe uh, that it's happening? And look at some of the consequences. We are so confused right now with gender pronouns. I mean, we're going to have to rewrite history books. We're in a complete mess right now. And by the way, um, on atheism, how does he even have the right to talk about what objective right and wrong is? I mean, shouldn't it just right. be pure moral relativism? And for that matter, uh, shouldn't he just have the posture of, uh, yeah, you know what? You have your right to your own moral opinions. I shouldn't really even worry about it. There is no such thing as objective morality right. unless he's going to try to ground it in some kind of a, uh, a Platonism of sorts. But then why should we feel morally obligated to free-floating mm. moral abstract objects? Right. So if, unless he goes there, because that's the only place he can really go unless you're going to go to look, someone like Sam Harris's moral landscape, which isn't going to hold water, yeah. uh, then he's going to be left in the seas of moral relativism himself. And so to be talking to us uh, so objectively so about morale, morality uh, seems a, a bit futile to me. Yeah. And, and again, like you said earlier, like there is some things that we can concede and it is tricky when you have the, the Christian God, as you say, and that's grounding morality to then see the culture kind of shifting and moving morally under your feet. And you're, you're like, well, we don't want to go with the culture. We want to stay grounded uh, in this, this, you know, objective morality, but then being able to communicate that. How do we then communicate, uh, you know, loving somebody or disagreeing with them or not affirming them, but uh, but saying that God loves them? How, how would you approach some of those types of questions? Because I think that might be at the core of why people are leaving. They might even say, okay, I agree with the morality, but I, I disagree with how it's being implemented in mm -hmm. that sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've heard me talk lately. I think the church is the one being love shamed right yeah. now, Tim. Um, it's a narrative that's been pitched by a lot of people in culture that Christians are the unloving ones because they haven't joined the LGBTQ mm. plus party. Mm. Uh, but at the end of the day, I've been a Christian 30 years. I, I've, I've not met a Christian that would advocate we need to be unloving. Yeah. That's a fringe yeah. group. In fact, I would go to the defense uh, of the LGBTQ plus community if I saw some mean-spirited, harsh, unloving Christian yelling at them, saying God hates them. Mm. I would be yeah. on their side saying, why are you being so wrong uh, in the, what your tone? We need to be loving here. Yeah. But I would not say that we have to agree with them in mm. order to accept them. And so... I think that the bigger area is is it's the church that's being outed here. The church is the one that's being shamed. The mm. church is the one that is not uh, welcomed at the cultural seat. Yeah. Uh, you know, at the cultural table, a seat yeah. at the cultural table, and so. Um, as a Christian, I feel like I, I can comfortably um, talk to people that have different moral opinions. Mm -hmm. uh, I can talk to people that are in a same-sex marriage, LGBTQ plus people. I can give them a hug. I can go out to yeah. lunch with them. I can go out to dinner with them. I can invite them into my house. Yeah. I can meet their needs and serve them and love them. I just don't have to agree with them. Mm. But what is happening in a lot of culture, Tim, is unless we embrace this movement, then we are the ones that are rejected. And I think that our eyes need to be open to that. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's move to our uh, last and final topic today, and that is politics. Let's go on and hear what he's got to say about that. Then they abandon their whole Christianity matters thing to support Donald Trump. He's only in power because white evangelicals propped him up and overwhelmingly voted for him. I don't need to tell you all the ways Trump is a disaster, 
but many prominent white evangelicals have still not run away or distanced themselves from him. Which means everything Trump does will be associated with evangelical Christianity. And honestly, all Christians, because most people don't know the differences, for years to come. If you don't like Trump, and most young people don't, even if they don't always vote, they're not about to join a club that treats him as a good guy. So Trump, if evangelical support for Trump is a significant issue for people, how, so much so that they've left the church, uh, how can we correct that narrative? How do, what do we do with Trump, Bobby? Yeah. What do we do with yeah. Trump? Well, I would just say, here's a good example of the, the importance of church discipleship. If yeah. people are leaving the church because of Trump, then I wonder if they ever connected to Christ to mm. begin with. Yeah. Because we shouldn't be leaving the church because of Trump. Uh, we are committed to the church because of Jesus Christ. Right. And he's our Lord and Savior, and he's the one that we have uh, placed our faith in. I think that there's some truth to people uh, associate Trump uh, with Christianity. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that is not a broad sweeping. I mean, what about all those that support Trump that aren't Christians? Right. What about all the Mormons? Yeah. Uh, what about the Muslims? Uh, what about the atheists? Yeah. I mean, it's not as if only Christians supported Donald Trump. Uh, Donald Trump was obviously arrogant. He was bombastic. He used words in the most foolish of ways yeah. and was a divisive figure uh, in our country. But just because um, some people uh, voted for Trump or just because some people aligned with Trump, that doesn't mean that Christianity and Donald Trump are one and the same. Right. Uh, and I think that that just goes to show such a naivete of those who would leave the church to even think that. Mm. Uh, there are lots of Christians inside the church that didn't vote that way. Yeah. So here again, these are these broad sweeping statements that the friendly atheist is making. Yeah. Oh, they didn't want the printing press because they feared. <laughs> and then I would turn it around and go, well, I think that the social media platforms are then operating just like the Roman Catholic Church did at one time. Um, Is he willing to speak up on that? Like, hey, let uh, different opinions come to the table. I don't think all Christians um, are for Trump, not in the least. I do think that there are some uh, in that Christian form of nationalism is is just about as toxic as the ultra-progressive party. Uh, I think you've got these extremes. Yeah, and, uh, and 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 we can't lump everybody into it. I mean, just as the friendly atheist, right? Like, not all atheists are mean spirited. He's a great example of that. You yeah. have uh, new atheists that are so vitriolic against Christianity, yeah. and some people get the bad taste in their mouth and think that's the way all atheists are. That's not the case. Yeah. Uh, there are friendly atheists, like the friendly atheist. And here I am saying this on a Christian platform. Yeah. And so I think it's important when he does videos like this to not come off even. Even though he's friendly, like we can all be lumped into the same uh, pot here. There are plenty of uh, godly Christians that would not be aligned uh, with some of the things that Trump was doing. Yeah, and, and again, I mean, there's there are just tons of different uh, ways to look at the role of the government, the role of the federal government for Christians. So when we're parsing some of those things out, it can be difficult. I mean, I know one thing is uh, the idea, we don't have to go into it here, but the idea of dispensationalism. In essence, uh, from my understanding of dispensationalism, Part of that is that the church 
displaced Israel. And so some of them are trying to get the church to be the, the theological and political rulers of, of uh, any nation, right? And so Israel plays a large role in that. And so the end times play a large role in that. And so that influences how then people vote. Whether that's right or wrong, it still influences how people vote. And so they saw Trump as a character that could help bring in kind of that theodicy, if you will, that that form of government. And again, you and I would reject those different uh, presuppositions that they might have. But then when you start to understand where those people are coming from, it makes more sense why they're supporting him. It doesn't justify, it doesn't make it right, or it doesn't make it good, doesn't make him any better, but we can understand that. Any final thoughts you want to give on Trump here or politics in general? <laughs> well, I would just say with dispensationalism, it's, uh, you know, that God's got a plan for two separate peoples. Right. You have Israel and the church, and the church is kind of in this dispensation for those who are dispensationalists, yeah. that God is primarily working through the church, but then in the eschaton, there will be, uh, you know, this final work of the Jewish people that right. will take place. Uh, but the dispensationalists, um, you, you know, they're not going to, um, you know, believe that God doesn't have a purpose ultimately for Israel. They're just going right. to believe that that's for a future time uh, in the eschaton. Yeah. So yeah. there are several other things that we're going to get to on next week's episode of the Unapologetic Show. So we didn't cover everything today. So we would invite you back to another episode of the Unapologetic Show. And in the last remaining minutes of this show, I would remind you that we are looking to uh, reach two goals by the end of 2022. One is 100,000 subscribers on our YouTube channel. The other is raising $25,000 to continue this ministry and shows like this. So you can find the information for both of those at our YouTube channel. And we would look forward to seeing you next time on The Unapologetic Show. You've been listening to Unapologetic with Dr. Bobby Conway, the one-minute apologist. I am your host, Tim Hall. Be sure to listen to Bobby on Pastor's Perspective Monday through Thursday, as well as like, share, and subscribe to the One Minute Apologist YouTube channel, where we have over 1,000 videos. We would also like to remind you that this is a listener-supported program. We would greatly appreciate your support in any amount so we could continue to provide this ministry. If you would like to be a part of our team in any capacity, please visit our website at oneminuteapologist.com. And while you're there, check out all of Bobby's books, courses, and even invite him to speak at your church or event. Thank you for listening to Unapologetic, where we defend truth without compromise. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa.